Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you. It's snowing outside. It's winter. It's been cold, but no snow. So my kids have been like, what's up with that? It's no fun if it's cold and no snow. So it's snowing outside. We'll see how that goes. Now, some of you, several of you wondered um, after my comment last week, if I was the one that broke the coffee maker. <laughs> the answer is no. I didn't touch it. They don't let me touch it. So it's not my fault. It is, it's not me. I did not break the coffee maker. I just can't make it. But I don't break coffee makers. So hopefully that will um, just be a little test for you this morning. I'm going to, I might incorporate it into my message a little bit later, although we did not break the coffee maker to put it in my message, but I thought it might be a little bit of an opportunity to throw it in. So um, if I remember, I'll throw it in a little bit later. Um, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, you can open it to Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you didn't, you can follow along on the screen or you can use your phone or whatever. We're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 8 this morning and then make our way at some point to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I'd like to talk this morning about living in the freedom that God provides. We all know that God is the provider of all good things, and one of the great things we have in our life is freedom. And freedom goes way beyond what we have as Americans, although I will incorporate that in in several um, applications this morning because I think we need to apply it to our lives in important ways. As you read the Bible from the beginning to the end, what you'll discover is that there are two very significant moments of God's deliverance that brought about people for freedom in the Bible. One's in the Old Testament, one's in the New. The one in the Old Testament we know is the deliverance of the Israelite people from the nation of Israel. It's, it's the greatest moment in the Old Testament and it launches us as people of faith into a foundation in God's word that we find in the Old Testament and life uh, as we understand it, living with God the Father. The second one is recorded in the New Testament when Jesus Christ dies on the cross and rises again so that you and I might have eternal life. That is the second great deliverance that God has done for mankind. Both bring about and have brought about great freedom in our lives. Today, I, I think it's also true that you and I need to walk in the freedom that Christ has given us. But it's a challenge in our day because we live in a very specific time for a very specific reason. I believe that God has had each of us born at this time for a purpose and a design to bring about glory to his kingdom and to his name. But that means that you and I will have to live in the freedom that God provides. In both these instances, in the Old Testament and in the New, I think there are some radical examples that you and I can glean from uh, in God's word. Because here's what's interesting. It's not uncommon for God or for us as men upon a moment of freedom to write some things down. For instance, the moment that the Israelites are delivered from Egypt and the Red Sea closes on the Egyptian army and they head into the desert, the very next thing that happens monumental in the people is Moses goes up on the mountain and receives the Ten Commandments from God. God writes some things down 
puts them on a tablet, and then God also begins to give Moses many other laws that are recorded in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And what the people begin to discover in the desert is how to live out their freedom. They've already been given their freedom. God did it for them. They didn't have to do anything at all. God gave them freedom, but now they had to learn how to live in it. Same thing is true for us. Christ has died on the cross and we are now free, but now we have to learn how to live in it. The same thing happened in the New Testament. Jesus Christ dies on the cross, goes back to heaven. As soon as he does, the writers of the New Testament begin to write down what it will be like to live in a new freedom that Jesus Christ has given us through his blood. And so this is a common occurrence that we see. Now, it's also something that we live in as Americans. It happens to be a part of our national heritage. The moment that the nation of the United States, the 13 colonies, defeated the English in battle, literally weeks after that, the smartest men in our country, about five of them get together in Philadelphia and they start writing documents that you and I are now going to live in to preserve our freedom. They went to battle and won our freedom, but they knew that's not gonna be the end of it. We're gonna have to write down some things to help us live together and understand how to live in this freedom. And so they wrote the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. These five men wrote them down on paper, and then the entire Continental Congress Representatives from each of those states got together and they all voted on what they agreed upon and what would be true. And so they tore apart the Declaration of Independence and the, and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and they left in it what they wanted to leave in it and everything else that they left in it that you and I have today, they said, this is what will be the foundation of our nation. Now that being said, we're going to look at God's word in a minute about how he gives freedom. But I, I thought I'd point out to you, because we're Americans, what our founding fathers said about our national heritage. Listen to what they said about our national heritage. This is the first line of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, with certain unalienable rights that are among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Here's what's interesting. When our founding fathers paid for our freedom on the battlefield, it wasn't over. They wrote some documents down, but here's what's interesting. In the very beginning of what we now believe, they declared that it wasn't the battlefield that makes us free. It's our creator God that makes us free. Because it's God who gave us certain unalienable rights that we just paid for on the battlefield. But it's really God who gives us life and freedom and happiness. And we're gonna put some documents together so that we can live on the foundation of his word and understand that if we don't grasp in our mind that God the creator has done this first and that we do it second, then nothing will be right in our country. That is now the, the experiment that you and I live in. 
Because what's interesting about what's happening today is that the American experiment or experience is very unique. We've proven some very interesting things over the past 200, 250 years since those documents were written, and we've tried to live under them. Because how many of you think that that phrase is the phrase that we would write down today? Not the phrase we'd write down today. I don't know how we would phrase it today, but we wouldn't put a capital C creator in the document, would we? If we did anything, we'd have to put evolution in there somewhere because we don't believe in the creator anymore. At least our culture doesn't. We do here. But our culture primarily thinks that somehow life and liberty and happiness comes from being a frog in a pond. I happen to not believe that. I don't have enough faith to believe in that. The American experiment is unique. It's interesting. It also proves a universal truth about our world. And the universal truth is this, that even though you defeat all your enemies on the battlefield, you're not free yet. Even though you've positioned yourself politically to be free, you're not free yet. Even though you've done everything you could possibly do with other men on the planet and women on the planet, that doesn't mean you're necessarily free yet because you still have two very, very challenging things that you will have to deal with no matter where you live on this planet that will never make you free. And that is the sin nature inside of you and the fact that Satan is always attacking you because you are created in the image of God. And so no matter where we live, you and I will deal with this challenge of our sin nature inside of us and that Satan is spiritually attacking us all the time. And these two enemies have not been defeated fully yet until we get to heaven. They've been defeated on the cross so they can be defeated in us. But they are much more powerful than anything foreign or domestic. They're much more manipulative than anything we can see with our eyes. And Satan encourages our sin nature to flourish and grow and to be prosperous by pleasure. He knows that the more we interact with our sin nature, the less we are free. The more we are slaves to our sin. But when we interact with the Holy Spirit and the more we become free in the Spirit, the more we become free in every area of our life. The American experiment has taught us many things about humanity. In spite of the many challenges we have, this is still the best that man has done. Amen? I think living in America is pretty awesome. It's pretty great. And we've done a, a pretty good job compared to everything else that has come down the pike. But we still have to recognize that living in God's freedom will require some significant changes in our mindset, in our heart, and in our lifestyle, even in our culture where we say we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. So I'd like us to look at that this morning. We can find this in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 with me. I'm going to read it to begin with. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, as I mentioned before, the Israelites have come out of the Red Sea. They've been in the desert for 40 years. And now they're getting ready to enter into the nation of Israel. They're entering into the promise that God has for them. 
And as they enter into this freedom and into the promises of God that he has for them, Moses gives them this direction about living in their freedom. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord God led you all the way in the wilderness for 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with weed and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Looks like the Northwest, doesn't it? When you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I'm gonna jump down to verse 17 because the rest are a repeat. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. These verses are pretty powerful because the Israelites have been wandering the desert for 40 years. They've not been in prosperity, but they're about to head into it. They're about to head into their promise. They're about to head into wealth. They're about to head into the good life. And Moses gives them several things to remember as they begin to walk and live in this freedom. Here's the first thing the first little bit of advice that Moses gives. He says, remember how the Lord led you. Remember that the Lord has been taking care of you the past 40 years. He took care of your enemies. You've been living in a desert for 40 years and we all know that you can't really live in a desert. It doesn't work. There's no food there. There's no water there. There's no protection. There's just the heat of the sun. You literally can't live in the desert. Yet they did. Because God led them. God took care of them. 
God gave them food through manna and quail. God gave them fresh water that would just spring up out of the rocks. And so God took care of them. But God said something interesting. I took care of you to also humble you and test you. I was testing to discover whether you really loved me. I was testing whether or not your heart wanted to be in relationship with me. And so all this time while you've been living in the desert, while I've been taking care of you, I've actually been testing you and humbling you and wondering if you want to be in relationship with me. And I think God does the same today, doesn't he? Because you and I have been through challenging things. You and I have been through those desert times. You and I have been in moments where we needed provision and didn't have it in our own cupboard. You and I have had those moments in our life where we had to discover in that moment, am I gonna give my heart to Jesus right now or am I gonna go my own way? Maybe you've had a bout of cancer or a family member and in that moment you had to discover, am I gonna let God lead me through this or am I gonna go my own way? Maybe you've had a difficult situation at work and you've chosen in that moment to say, Jesus, this is really rough. I'm having a tough time going to work every day. I don't really wanna go, but would you help me? Would you lead me? And as you look back on that season of your life, you can see how God led you. He took care of you. He protected you and he sustained you. And maybe even during that time, you got a promotion. God went above and beyond. Or maybe he provided an even better job for you. And he got you out of the situation you were in. But what you see as you look back is that God led you. We all have these moments, a struggle in a marriage, a deep time of loneliness, a season of financial hardship. And we can look back and see that as we clung to the Lord, he led us. We need to remember that if we're going to live in God's freedom. The next thing that Moses says is if you and I are going to live in the freedom that God provides for us, we're going to need to observe the commands of the Lord. Now, this is a very common thing. When God gave us freedom in the Old Testament, he gave us the Old Testament law. In the New Testament, Jesus has writers write the New Testament. Our founding fathers, when they gave us freedom, they wrote down documents for us. And then we're supposed to observe those things, put into practice those things, live them out so that we can continue to preserve our freedom and live in it. Now, verse three happens to tell us how you and I can best observe the commands that God has given us in this book. These commands that help us to live in the freedom that God provides instead of in the slavery we discover in our own selfishness and our sinful nature. In verse three, it says this. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Interesting. What an incredible statement and a very powerful one at that. Let me ask you a question. Raise your hand if you're going to eat lunch this afternoon. How about dinner later? Breakfast Monday morning? Lunch, dinner, right? We, we get lots of meals, don't we? Why do you do that? 
Why do you eat? Because you know your physical body cannot go on without food. Food is life. Now, some of us can go a little bit longer than others because we've built up preserves. But the truth is, without food, you're not going to make it. You will perish. Some sooner than others, but that's reality. Our physical body requires the calorie and the fat and the vitamins and the nutrients that food provides for us. Food is life. Here's what Moses is trying to tell the people of God and what we need to hear today. This is life. The Bible is life. Just like food, if you don't eat food, you will perish. Death is in your future. If you don't live in God's word, read it, study it, observe it, put it into practice and live it out, then eternal death is your future. This is life. The life that you and I need to live is found in this book. Therefore, you and I must be in it. We must put it into practice. We must read it. We must study it. It must be as important to us as food. How many of you get hunger pains? I do. How many of you get Bible pains? We should, right? Shouldn't we get Bible pains? Shouldn't we have a really hard day at work where we just interacted with a sinful culture and you just can't wait to get home to open the word of God and just say, I just got to read some of the life today. Oh my Lord. I just felt like I just, I just was hanging out in darkness all day and I need some life in me. So I can't wait to get home or get to my car and pull my Bible out from underneath my seat and just read a couple verses and get life back in me. That's God's word. It's life, just like food. That's why the Old Testament says, and it's why Jesus said before he went to the cross, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There were a group of people in the mid-1400s to late-1500s that believed this idea. They believed that the highest value in their life was God's word. They were the Huguenots. The Huguenots were a group of Christian people that lived in France. And these people were interesting, the Huguenots. They, they were... Catholics by natural origin or by national heritage, but they began to think there's got to be more. This top-down system of people at the top telling me how to live for Jesus and me never able to have my own idea or my own thought or my own love or my own devotion or my own understanding of God's word, I want more. And so the Huguenots began to think about what would it be like to live in a society that instead of being top-down religiously was bottom-up. 
And as they thought about that idea, they began to think, we have a problem. We can't read. We're literate. And we can't read God's word because we're French and none of us know Latin. Because at the time, most of scripture was in Latin, translated from Greek to Latin, and then only the priests and the popes and the bishops knew how to read, and then they would tell you what God was saying and whether God was really saying that or not is another historical lesson for another day. But here's what they discovered. If we're going to live in the freedom that God has given us, then we're going to have to translate this book into French. And so they went about the process of translating the Bible from Latin to French. Not a great translation because it was in Greek to French, but they could then at least understand it and read it themselves and put it into practice and begin to live in community with one another based on what God's word says, not what on a man says. Here's what's interesting. As the Huguenots started that in the late 1400s and early 1500s, they began to have communities that were flourishing that were growing. They became the most wealthy and prosperous groups in all of France. They had the best arts, the best entertainment, the best uh, crops that were growing. They, they were just growing in every single area. They were super wealthy everywhere over France and the French were getting very jealous, very upset. But one of the worst things that they believed the Huguenots did was to translate God's word into the French language. But the Huguenots loved it. They were thriving and growing and learning to live for Christ as they got to read the word of God on their own. The French became so upset that they had translated the Bible into French that on August 24th, 1572, they slaughtered 100,000 of them and threw them in the rivers of France. All because they decided to say, this book is life. Now here's what's interesting. The Huguenots started this idea of bottom up instead of top down. That thinking made its way to the United States. And that thinking made its way into three documents. Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. The Huguenots started what you and I are now living under, which is that God's word is life and that we are endowed by a creator with these rights and by no one else. But if we're going to live in the freedom that God's give us, we must obey them and revere them. And lastly, Moses said, if you're going to live in the freedom of God, you can't forget the Lord. You can't forget what the Lord has done. You can't just go your own way and just completely forget about God. Now, here's what's interesting about what Moses said. When you look at what Moses said, it's almost like looking in a mirror for us today. It's almost like what Moses wrote down is the United States. And you're like, snap, 
How did he know that? Because there's a simple truth. It's been true for ever since the beginning of time. That there's one thing, several things, but one thing in particular that can ruin your relationship with God. It's prosperity. Wealth. Financial security. All things that we now have. And when you have these things, Moses said, be careful as you enter into this land, this land that's going to be amazing. There'll be fresh water everywhere. Everything's going to grow when you throw it in the ground. There'll be coppers and minerals in the hills. But be careful, be careful because you might forget about the Lord. And when you forget about the Lord, everything will go downhill from there. Listen to what Moses said. He said, when you eat and are satisfied, do we eat and are satisfied? Yes, we do. When you build fine houses and settle down, are there any finer houses than the ones here in America? No. And when your herds and your flocks grow large, is the stock market rising? Yes. And when you have silver and gold and it increases and all you have is multiplied then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. Isn't that interesting? It's still happening today. Happened 4,000 years ago. It's happening today. See, wealth does something interesting. It's interesting because wealth allows us to forget about the Lord. Because now we can say, oh, this is what I do. This is my power. It's my strength. That's what my hands do. It's not what God does. And one of the oldest tricks that Satan uses is to place before us lifestyles and arguments that make it easy for us to forget about God. The great lie is that when we live outside of God's boundaries, I'm living free. Or that if I can live however I want with no boundaries, I'm truly free. That's the great illusion. Life with no boundaries. Because life with no boundaries, you discover just like we have as a country that you become a slave to your sin. A slave to your selfishness. And that slavery is very, very harsh. Now let me show it to you from a different perspective nationally as a culture. Because in the United States, we did something in particular to see this happen. In the late 1800s and the early 1900s, as the Industrial Revolution was growing in the United States and we were becoming the most powerful nation in the world and our wealth was just off the charts increasing, for the first time in the world, we were seeing millionaires in our country, multiple millionaires, and just Life was amazing as our culture is riding this wave of wealth and prosperity and there's a middle class unlike nowhere else in the world. In the late 1800s and the early 1900s, we are in this great rise of prosperity. At the exact same time, the theory of evolution is introduced. And at the exact same time that our wealth is rising and the theory of evolution is exist, 
comes into our existence and we don't have to believe in God anymore, our spiritual decline dives fast. Now, we continue to be a nation of prosperity. Amen? There's nothing wrong with that. According to God's word, there's nothing wrong with the prosperity. What's wrong is forgetting who gave you the prosperity. That's the problem. And we've forgotten who gave us the prosperity. In fact, we forgot so well, we made up our own doctrine to say he doesn't even exist. And as a result, we now lead the world in every single negative category. Why? Because we've allowed our sin nature to flourish and thrive. And we're now slaves to a different kingdom as we believe that we're doing the right thing. That's the condition and the culture and the state in which you and I live and are striving to live in the freedom of God. Now, as you fast forward, the Apostle Paul begins to write letters to the churches and encourage them to live in the freedom of God as well. So turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 with me. I'm going to quickly close by talking to you about several things that the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. And they almost parallel what Moses said. That if you're going to live in the freedom of God, there's some things you're going to have to do and remember and put in practice in your life. Now that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and risen again and we believe in him, there's some things you're going to have to do to live in that freedom. Here's what Paul says. You, however, know all about my teachings, my way of life, verse 10, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. There's the first one. What did Moses tell the people? Remember that the Lord rescued you from everything and he took care of you. And here Paul is saying, remember, Timothy, that the Lord's rescued me through everything in my life. If you're gonna live in the freedom of God, Remember that God has always rescued you every single moment of your life. He's always been there. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. And he's always been a part of your life. And then he says something not so encouraging. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted because evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So then Paul says, in fact, if you want to live in this freedom that God has given you, if you want to live this godly life, you will be persecuted as well. And it's true. If you and I want to live in the freedom that God has given us, and we're going to hold to the truths in this book, then there will be persecution. There will be moments where you and I are not invited to parties, are not included in certain conversations at work, are shunned and not included. Now, thankfully, that's as far as the persecution goes right now. Amen? Yeah. Amen. But I don't think that's where it's going to end. I think as we move into our future, 
we're going to see much more persecution as Christians. We'll see that persecution because the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, is at work in our culture. He's at work in our government. He's at work at the foundations of our culture. He controls the media. He controls Hollywood. He controls what we see on the screen, what we see on our phones. He controls it. And so he will, as we move forward into the future, manipulate Christian doctrine, Christian truth, biblical values. And as a result of that, you and I will see more persecution. But it will be an opportunity for you and I to prove where our heart is, amen? To prove that we say we believe in Jesus Christ. We put him first and we believe that this is life. And without it, death is in our future. Thirdly, Paul said this in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, continue in what you know and are convinced of. In other words, observe the commands of the Lord and don't forget You know the truth. Don't forget it. You're going to be challenged in the world around you, but don't forget what the truth is. Continue in the truth. And lastly, in verse 16 and 17, Paul says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What a good word. What a good word that God wants to thoroughly equip you. He wants to give you everything you need to live in this life. And he has. The challenge is, are you reading it? Because it's all right here. Everything you need in this life is found in this book. It'll teach you. It'll train you. It'll correct you. At times, it'll rebuke you to help you understand how to live in the freedom of Christ. Now, God's word is interesting. It's stood the test of time. It stood the test of persecution and destruction throughout history and today. No book has more enemies than the Bible. If you're a college student, you probably know this. You probably have a professor that in math class talks about the Bible and how dumb it is. And you're like, aren't we in math class? What, why are we, what's going on here? I have a friend right now who's at uh, Spokane Falls and he has, he's taking a, a North American history class. He's been in that class for three weeks and the professor hasn't taught one thing about history. The only thing he's talked about is how the Bible is wrong for three weeks. Who does that? Satan does through professors that have believed it. Why isn't he talking about other books that are wrong? Because Satan doesn't care about people reading other books. He wants you to read other books that are lies. He wants you to read other books that will enslave you. He doesn't want you to read this book. He doesn't want you to believe that this book is truth and this book is life. So this book is always contradicted. This book is always the one that we see is persecuted. But what you and I have to do is move past that and know that everything we need for our life is in this book. Men, 
What you need to be a good leader, a respectful employee, a great boss, a devoted friend, a great husband, a loving father, a grandfather who's leaving a godly legacy. Everything you need is in this book. Ladies, same for you. Everything you need is in this book. Throughout our life, the wisdom that we need to live in the freedom of God is found in God's word that thoroughly equips us for this life. In order to make that happen, in order to live in the freedom that God provides, Moses and Paul tell us, remember the Lord. Don't forget him. Don't forget what he's done. Don't forget who he is in your life. Make his words the most important in your life. And lastly, let God's word thoroughly equip you to live in this freedom that Jesus Christ has paid for you. Would you stand with me this morning? What we can see throughout time, through our experience, through God's word, is that God is good. God is good. God is loving. He's kind. And, and God knows what he's doing. He knew that true freedom would be experienced only when you and I would confess our sin to him and leave it at the foot of the cross. He knew that our deepest need would be to provide spiritual freedom first and all the other freedoms later. See, one of the things we've got to get through our mind and in our head and in our heart and in our life is that the greatest freedom we have is freedom from our sin. And that Christ has provided on the cross and through the resurrection. It's pretty simple. All we have to do is confess. Confess our sin to Christ. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and we are saved. We're set free from our sin and we now live in a completely new freedom that is a part of our life that's never been there before. But that must be acknowledged. It must be believed. It must be sought out. And then for those of us who have experienced it already, it must be put into practice and lived out every single day. That's why God has preserved the Bible for us. That's why you and I have one at home and in our car and on our phones. I've got three apps on my phone that are all the Bible. I can look it up in about 25 different translations. We live in a great day, folks where we can have access to God's word in an instant. What a miracle. For thousands of years, most Christians never even had the Bible. All they had was the Holy Spirit. You and I have God's word in our hand all throughout the day. I wanna challenge you to read it, to study it, and to put it into practice, to make God's word your life. Would you pray with me? Before we go this morning, there might be several of you here 
that want to make Jesus your life. It's time for you to confess your sin and believe in Jesus Christ and say yes to him. You've been battling with it, grappling with it, thinking about it. I just want to tell you, he loves you. And it's time for you to believe. Know that he loves you so much that he died for you. And he wants you to just accept it and start to have a relationship with him. If that's where you're at this morning and you'd like to say yes to Jesus, and it'd be the, the very first time you ever have. And you're just saying, Pastor Mark, I need to start my relationship with Jesus today. Would you raise your hand? All right, here's my second question. It's, it's, sometimes it's easy for us to neglect God's word. The wealth of our culture gives us so many distractions, we just neglect it. We don't make it as important as food. We don't have Bible pains. It's not our life. But maybe this morning, you, would, you just want to acknowledge, Lord, I want your word to be my life. And I want to tell you that this morning. If that's how you feel, would you just raise your hand and say, God, that's what I want to tell you this morning. I want your word to be my life. I want to read it. I want to study it. I want to get into it. I want it to make me who I am in Christ. Amen. Lots of hands. You can go ahead and put your hands down. I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, you've, you've gone through a lot of pain to get this, this word on paper for us. Your servants, many of your servants have died for this so that we could hold it in our hands today, so that we could read it. Some translated it and lost their throne over it. Some translated it into English and were persecuted and killed because they did. Lord, we want to say thank you for your sacrifice, for their sacrifice. And Lord, would you help us today to open your words every day? Would you help us to read them, study them, and put them into practice? Would you help them make them our life? They are the words we need to live by. So we give you our thanks and our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.